Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 225 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to open the show today with a quote from John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. I started this podcast for two reasons because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're well. I'm very well. Thank you for asking that mentally in your head. Uh, we're just heading into a bank, super bank holiday weekend here in the UK because the Queen has been on the throne for 70 years. Can you imagine that? That's a long old time, isn't it? I think that's making her the longest serving monarch ever that we've had. So fantastic. A good reason to have a, a drink and a bit of cake, I think. Anyway, I wanted to tell you uh, a bit about the show today. But before I do that, I also must tell you about a special live masterclass that I'm teaching in just a few weeks, I am going to be walking you through each of the six parts of my heart map blueprint for creating and delivering powerful, compelling talks that will get you results. And by the end of this masterclass, you're going to leave knowing exactly what you need to include to create a presentation that inspires change and builds your brand and business. And there are going to be two sessions to choose from on the 20th of June. And it's a chance not only to get the goods on what makes a great talk so that you know exactly what you need to be doing, but also to ask me questions and get coaching on your own specific topic. So to go and find out more about the masterclass and book your space, you need to head over to saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass. Brilliant. Hope to see you there. But today I am talking to someone called Gavin Howarth and I asked him to come on the show for a number of reasons. First of all, he writes some of the most engaging and authentic posts that I've seen on LinkedIn and they get an immense amount of traction. Secondly, one of the posts that I read of his made reference to an experience he had whilst waiting to do a talk recently. And I knew that this would be useful for you. And thirdly, he is a brilliant leader and he has a powerful vision for his company and his team that I'm sure will be an inspiration to you. So who is he? Well, Gavin is the managing director of Howarth's and his company helps thousands of other businesses manage one of the most challenging aspects of navigating growth, which is taking on and managing people. Howarth's advises companies on HR, employment law, health and safety and getting the best out of a team and their client retention rate is through the roof. So they must be doing something right. And in this show, we are covering what it takes to be a great leader and create that high performance culture underpinned by people who absolutely love to come to work. But we, of course, also look at how Gavin has embraced authentic storytelling in his talks and LinkedIn posts to grow that big following and attract more clients. So let's not muck about anymore. Let's head straight over to the interview. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Gavin Howarth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cool. I'm really looking forward to talking to you, actually. 
you caught my eye on LinkedIn with your brilliant posts and stories. And I thought I want to have him on the show. So here you are. But (laughs) so I was interested, first of all, in finding out what were the key things that happened in your life that led you to what you do today? Because an interesting story, I think. Yeah, so um, I think the one of the key moments was back when I was 17 year old and we're on a family trip to Centre Parks. Um, my dad was in the police from being 19 year old until 49. So he did 30 years in the police and then he retired and started the business that I now run, uh, the family business, when he was 50. Um, oh. So... When I was 17, him and mum had had thoughts about starting a business. We're in centre parks and me and my dad had a conversation and he told me then, you know, Gav, we might want to start a business. You know, would you be interested in the future? To which I was like, yes, definitely. Absolutely. I don't know why. I just knew that working with my parents and the family had an opportunity to do that. Definitely want to do it. So that was quite a big moment because that sort of sowed the seed for what was to come later. I then went off and did a law degree at Leeds University, qualified as a solicitor. And then once I'd finished my training contract, left, joined the family business. Some years later, after that conversation, maybe five or six years later. Um, and then the rest is history, I suppose. I've been here ever since, which is 12 years later this year. Wow. Cool. Um, so tell me a bit more about the business. What, so where he started, it's quite late in the day to start I mean it's never too late to start a business but um, and it was quite a transition wasn't it from police to to what the business does yeah so yeah, my dad's a huge inspiration because he he came from a one-parent family council uh, estate joined the police at 19 did 30 years until 49 but didn't have any a-levels or qualifications at all so in the last four years of his police career whilst me and my brother Chris were quite young He went to night school to firstly get his A-levels and then get his degree. Um, But from a a lad from a council estate to go to college at 46 with a lot of younger people was quite a big thing, obviously, just to feel like you belong there and actually do it. And so he did that Tuesday and Thursday nights, uh, got his A-levels, got the law degree, finished his police career, and then set up the business at 50. But the most amazing thing about it all as well was dad didn't have any business contacts or business knowledge whatsoever because he'd been in the public service for 30 years and he'd done very well in the police by the way he'd worked as a detective and special branch in Ireland and Hong Kong for a while so um but he started from a really standing start um you know a lot of people in our industry will be solicitors at big firms who go out on their own and take some clients with them etc um but no, mum and dad, mum joined him because uh, dad's not the best at numbers. So <laughs> <laughs> he'd be the first to say. So mum, mum helped out with that um, and started from our front room at home. Um, and, you know, like many family businesses are the same. The children, you know, know about the business, working it over summers, help out, um, which me and Chris both did. Uh, and then eventually I obviously joined uh, fully and properly later on in my life. Wow. And so tell me what it actually does, the business. So people. So we support other businesses with HR, employment law, health and safety and business immigration. So we advise other businesses in those areas. So there are uh, 30 of us in the business, including our, we have our own foundation, the Howarth Foundation, which is a charity which my dad runs. Um, and we work with about 750 businesses, ranging from those with two or three staff up to the biggest has about 700 and anywhere be- in between in any different sector. Wow. And I remember seeing a post of yours about when you were negotiating with your mum and dad to take over the business. Tell me a bit about that, because that looked like there was, you know, it was really important for you to keep the relationship because those things can get quite fractious can't they definitely um yeah it was a really interesting journey just so I became managing director of the business when I was 27 um and 
I remember the first year that I became MD, we had quite a good year. So turnover, profit, all that type of stuff. And I remember at the end of that year, emailing mum and dad to say, right, I had a great year. I'm ready to business. Off we go. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I look back now at 36 to my 27-year-old self, think, what were you doing? <laughs> Anything in one year. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know, I would, maybe you like that in your 20s. Um, but anyway, so so that happened, uh, you know, sort to build the business. We, we created the Howard Foundation, our charity, um, which my dad started to run, and he was ready for a new challenge by then. Um, and the conversation about succession happening had probably been going on for five years before it actually happened. These, you know, on and off. And my dad got cancer in between. We had COVID and all sorts of things. So it started, it stopped. It, it looked like we were moving, then we weren't. And do we all really want to do it? And, um, but yes, eventually we got there. We did it in the right way. Everyone still loves each other to bits, which was the number one priority. And I meant what I put in my LinkedIn post. I said, I said to mum and dad, several times throughout, I'd go get another job before I'd fall out with, you know, my parents. Um, so but I didn't need to in the end, thankfully, because we got it all done and everyone's happy. So we, but it's not easy um, because mixing business with family is tricky. And the conversations around the boardroom table or at home around the family table are all layered with, years of emotion and shared experience and dynamics that make business conversations quite tricky yeah I must imagine it's hard to compartmentalize in some ways when you have a family business and my, my partner and I work in the business together and it is it bleeds into life and that's making that sort of distinction between the two is is difficult isn't it absolutely you might on the Wednesday I might have a conversation with dad about you know, what we're going to do about some financial package of the deal, which, you know, is quite sensitive and both parties have got their own view on it. And then on the Saturday, we're looking after the grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we go around and George and Grace are there with mum and dad and it's back to family and to transition back and forth between the two, you know, isn't always easy. Yeah. It's interesting something that you said about your 27-year-old self and also what you said about your dad. And I think I think this is going to segue into my next question. But one of the things that struck me that I don't think I benefited from, but it sounds like maybe your dad did and maybe that 27-year-old self did, is that I think in some ways there's an advantage to naivety in business. So when your dad started that business... Uh, you know, he, although he didn't have much experience, you know, he'd been in police, that naivety possibly helped him. I don't know what you think. And then, and then yourself, you know, like, I can do this. I've done, you know, why not? What, whatever's possible is possible. Whereas other people in business have got this, these limitations that we put on ourselves in this baggage. What do you, what do you think about that? I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. I think you, you're unburdened in a sense without the knowledge that you might think you need. And no idea or business is perfect. It never, you never get to that. It, if it's good enough, then you're ready to launch. And I think if you know too much and you think about it too much, you end up procrastinating and not taking action. And it's the action that, that wins the day, really. You've got, to, you've got to go ahead and do it, haven't you? So I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Sometimes, inadvertently, that naivety is, is an advantage. Definitely. And I, and I know you work with hundreds of small businesses, and obviously you run a business yourself. So based on that experience, what would you say are the three things that are most critical for sustainable business success? What a question. I'm thinking about this. This is, this is a really good question because there's so many factors which play into success um and i think it's important to say it's to define what success is and you referred to it as we were chatting off air about what is your definition of success 
Um, is that money, turnover, profit, growth at all costs? Or do you actually define being able to put your kids to bed at night as success as well as being successful commercially? So I think defining what that is, but I mean, for every business to, to be successful and sustainable, clearly, I mean, the first thing I thought was cash. <laughs> it's hard to get away from the reality of, you know, cash being, you know, so important for any business, the ups and downs, you know, we may be heading into another recession now, you know, you have to have, you have to be liquid um, and, and have the money. But I think more than that, sales obviously drive a business hugely, getting the sales function right, motivating your team in that area. But then I think it's down to the people and two aspects to that. One, the owner and, and the person who leads the business and Second, and, and just as important, if not more, the team. For a business to be sustainable and last duration, it has to be about a team. It doesn't matter how good any one person is. It's the team that, that make it. Um, so, I, And I truly believe that people make a business. It doesn't matter how fancy your website is, how flashy your offices are. It's the people that make it. If they don't turn up on a Monday, the business isn't going anywhere. Uh, so I think for sustainable success over the long term, cash, obviously, business strategy, processes and systems, all the stuff you'd expect from a business, but people, people are at the heart of it. I think I, mean, I saw something else about, and I, and I get the sense of that coming through what you, what you post uh, on LinkedIn about the the special birthday cakes and stuff like that. But one of the things that I noticed on, on the website was that you talk about developing and encouraging personality and individuality in the team and the workplace. Can you tell me how you do that and why is that so important to you? I think there's a moral and a commercial reason for this. Without getting too deep, the moral one is, uh, right i'll go back one i'm a bit weird so i get a, i get a i sign up to an app which i pay for called we crook and it's an app that will text you five times a day to remind you that you're going to die and with a quote so i, I know i know that's not for everyone and it's very strange but it works for me to give me a perspective and um and also to motivate me to live life each day and I often think about how I might feel when I'm on my deathbed or at the end of my life and think what will matter. And, you know, we're in work together a huge amount of our time. And yes, we all want to be commercially successful and financially secure for our families and, and have peace in that area. But what will matter at the end is not what we turned over any given year or, or profit. It'll be how we impacted people and did people fulfill their potential when we worked together and did I help them do that? So that's very important to me because I, because I think it's what matters. Commercially, the most successful businesses, I think now are you know, from 2022 and beyond are the ones that really embrace this because I think people who, are, who can bring their whole selves to work and that's the term we use internally. You can bring your whole self to work. You feel psychologically safe at work. Um, do the best work. Uh, are the most engaged, are the most productive, and therefore make the business the most profitable. So it isn't just a, a moral thing. It's I think it's the most successful businesses will be those who, who, who really um, play into this. And so just one example that something we do here is we recently formed uh, what we call our DIB committee, which stands for diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Uh, it didn't start out like that. It used to be called uh, diversity and inclusion, but the belonging bit was really important to us as a team. So we affectionately call it internally our DIB committee. And I launched this about nine months ago, and it's an area that I'd been wanting to do something about for, for some time, but I didn't want to do it inauthentically or tick box. So I was very wary of, making sure I do this right. So I spent some time reading and researching. Then I thought, I'm ready to, to, to launch our own DIB committee. So I emailed the business and said, I want to do this initiative. I will chair it because I want to make sure that it, it actually takes action and we can affect change. 
um, and I'm looking for volunteers to join me. And I was looking for four volunteers to create a board of five. And 11 people from the business emailed me back saying, what a brilliant idea. I'd love to be part of it. And then a few more said uh, in person, I'm so pleased you're doing this because it meant something to them. And the, the purpose, as you can imagine, the purpose of the committee is to talk about how we become more diverse, how we become more inclusive, how we uh, can understand each other better, communicate better and talk about mental health, hidden disabilities, all that type of stuff. And I can't tell you the impact that has had on engagement and everyone feeling safe to bring the whole selves to work, to be themselves, to be their individual selves um, and therefore do their best work. And just one example. So last, oh no, sorry, this month from the last day was Mental Health Awareness Month. And one thing we did is a, a, a desert island, what did we call it? It was, uh, you know, stranded on a desert island uh, type exercise where we all got together um, we put food on, all the business got together, we had a fuddle, we all brought in food which makes us happy. So you can imagine there were a lot of chocolate on that table. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Sarah, one of our senior solicitors, had set it up where everyone prior to the day would send in, if they were stuck on a desert island, uh, what luxury item would they take, what one book would they take, and what one song. So everyone sent in their entries, and then on the day when we're all together, Sarah read out the entries and all the team had to guess who it was from the team. So we had loads of fun guessing who likes that type of book, who listens to that type of music. Um, some we could guess, some we couldn't. But it were all about bringing the team closer together, understanding each other on a deeper level and building this culture of psychological safety, bringing your whole self to work, feel free to be an individual um, to do your best work ultimately. I love that. And one thing I was going to ask you, so you said you realized that it's not about, you know, how much money you've got or all of that stuff. What was there something specific that happened that caused you to have that epiphany um, that made you get that croak app? Can you remember? Or was it just the sense of something that it's sort of an iterative process that evolved? I think the latter, an iterative process, which evolved because I do believe that the, as a leader of a business, you the business will only grow the amount you grow. And you know, we've we've been from you know six, seven people in the business to now 30. And hopefully we'll continue to grow. But I've changed a lot in that process and I've had to change in that process to, to have the self-awareness and get the skills required to run a business of that size. So I think through a lot of self-development. I'm a big podcast fan. I listen to a lot of podcasts. My journey to work is about 40 minutes. So I often spend those journeys. I listen to a podcast on my way in and music to relax on my way out. Um, but I've listened to hours and hours and hours of self-development podcasts. Um, I read a lot of books in the area. And so I think it's been iterative where I've just become more self-aware, gone on a journey of self-discovery and and try to understand fundamentally what matters to me, uh, what I think a business in 2022 should look like and beyond. Um, and yeah, and to the point where <laughs> I downloaded <laughs> the strange app, <laughs> which uh, it, as I say, is not for everyone, but, um, but, it, but it works for me. I like it. It's actually based on a, a principle, I think in Bhutan about happiness um, and studies show that in, in Bhutan, the population generally is very happy. And one reason for that is an awareness and celebration and um, a reminder of death. Um, you know, like, like in Mexico, where they celebrate the Day of the Dead, it's, you know, we, we tend to be in a culture where if you mention death, you're morbid. Um, when in actual fact, it's, you know, it's as much a part of life as the sea, the trees, the clouds, the everything. So, um so, yeah, I try and remind myself because I think it's powerful for, for two things, like I say, perspective and motivation to make it count. Yeah, I do. I think it's it's cool. I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of hang up. I have a Catholic background and that gives you a lot of hang ups about death. But that whole idea of you've, the, you haven't got time to waste, really. You've got to, you know, well, it's really interesting because it's a double edged sword. You don't want to sort of think 
I haven't got time to waste. Therefore, I must go 100 percent. And and then there's a danger that you miss the precious moments of life. This is the trap that I know I've fallen into in the past. It's like I've got to go and do something, but equally I've got to stop and, and smell the roses. And it's getting that balance right between the two that I find a constant struggle. I don't know about you. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is a constant struggle, isn't it? And I don't think you ever find the solution to that in a way where you think, ah, oh, I've cracked it. I'm all, I'm, I'm hundred percent productive, but I'm also really relaxed at the same time. <laughs> it's just, it's not a thing, is it? In, re- in reality, we swing back and forth between the two and we have moments in each camp and we try our best to get it right, don't we? Which I suppose is, is life generally. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, next question. And we've just sort of started to touch on this and I want you, I, mean, I get a sense that you're a, a good leader. So I want you to try and put modesty aside and ju- I'm really interested in your take on what the qualities of a great leader are. And I guess looking at all the businesses you work with, you must see great examples and poor examples, and hopefully you're helping those people to shift to the other side. What what do you think uh, makes a great leader? I think qualities like empathy, vulnerability, vision, clearly, motivation, positivity, optimism. I think you have to have that. I do believe you have to lead from the front. And I think you have to lead from the front in respect of your energy outlook, um, which is why it's imperative on me to continue to grow for, for the benefit of the team. Um, I think you have to stretch people. Um, I think you have to make them believe in themselves in a way that they might not have done, uh, see the potential that they hadn't realised they'd got. Um I think there's one phrase which I've always kept in mind, which underpins this view, really, which is that I work for the team, not the other way around. I I always try and keep away and I never say, you'll never hear me say that I'm the boss or people work for me. You know, someone actually put it on a LinkedIn post I put yesterday in the comments that the team uh, must love working for you. And I said, thanks for the comment, but they don't work for me, they work with me. Um, uh, so I think if I, if as a leader, you keep in mind that you work for the team, not the other way around, that's as good a starting point as any to readjust your mindset to the fact that I see my job as creating an environment and a space where the guys can be the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And personally. So yeah, that, that, that's the way I approach it. And I think the vulnerability point is interesting. I, I've read and watched a lot of talks by Brené Brown, mm. um, who, who I'm a big fan of. And I saw a little clip last week where she said that in leadership, we used to lead by muscle. We now lead by brain and the future of leadership will be by heart. And that really struck a chord with me because I think with the advent of technology and increasing AI and, you know, the computers are probably, well, do clearly have much more brain power than we do. But one thing I think that we'll struggle to replace is heart. Mm. Um, And that is a uniquely human thing. So, yeah, a mix of all those things, I think, make a good leader. Cool. And, And how does the work that your company does help the organizations that you work for or with Mm. to avoid the traps of, you know, the the sort of stymie business success and shift into that place that we spoke about where they can be more successful. Yeah. Well, I I think I see if this answers your question. So I think, and you've got a HR background, there's, there's two sides to HR reactive and proactive, ultimately simplifying it. Reactive at its core is keep us out of employment tribunal, please. <laughs> we don't want to get sued. We know there's laws to follow. Can you help us follow them? I'm simplifying, but that, that's the idea of that. The proactive is where you get more into questions like how do we recruit better? How do we induct better? How do we performance manage better? How do we engage our team more? Um, and I think in business, you go on a journey. I think and I'm, I'm generalizing hugely now, but from saying not to 50, 60, 70 staff, the key focus from a HR point of view will be the reactive side. You know, we need to drive the business through generally sales and marketing. Um, let, just help us not get sued while we go on that journey. 
make sure we've got all the fundamentals in place and that'll do us. But I think a lot of businesses realize that when you get to a certain size, to access the next level of growth and success, the people piece becomes increasingly important and the critical piece, I would say, um, where you really do, yes, the reactive side will always be there. If you if you employ people, you'll always need that side. But you then start to look at, yeah, how can we improve the way we, our employer brand proposition? How do we uh, recruit people better through the process? How do we induct? How do we yeah, performance manage? Gener drive engagement to drive better performance, productivity, profit. These questions become increasingly important um, for the business to get to the next level. So a lot of the work we do, particularly through our HR growth team, as we call them, will be to work with that size of business who have reached a certain level of maturity to help them get to the next level, um, which is really exciting stuff. And that'll be a range of different things. But one of the, one of the tools that, that, that complements things like performance management, recruitment, induction is coaching. So uh, quite a few of our guys are ILM accredited coaches. So they'll work on a one-to-one -one basis with the senior management team, owners, MDs, FDs, commercial directors, to, like you say, shift the mindset a little bit and help them become better managers and people focused and things like delegation, which is not easy to do. And all those types of things, which you have to put in place to get to the next level. Sounds cool. And okay. So I'm also, one of the key reasons I got you on the show, I love, all, well, there's many, but I love all the stuff about leadership. Um, and I want to shift into talking about, uh, your speaking, which was a post that caught my eye that, that really sort of triggered me getting you onto the show. Mm. Um, but I also noticed, you know, we, we talk about communication, about speaking, they fall into this group of skills called soft skills. And um, I noticed that you also have a strong view about that term. Why does it wind you up? <laughs> Because I think the term needs a rebrand. I think it undersells itself hugely to call it, to call this set of skills, soft skills. So it all links into what I was saying before about the future of leadership. I'd say the future, but I mean, I think leadership now, you know, leading from the heart, empathy, compassion, vulnerability. You know, hard skills being the technical skills, soft skills being things like emotional intelligence, you know, empathy, the way you communicate, all that stuff. And I think there's, I do think there's a gender element to it. I think without generalizing too much, but I think males will generally see the term soft skills as something that might be, oh, it's not important, soft, not my bag if it's soft, um, not what I need to concentrate on. When in fact, it absolutely is if you're in a position of management, leadership, whatever it might be, these are absolutely critical and make the difference between a really successful business and not a successful business. So I think it's just undersold hugely. And yes, the terminology and the rebranding of it's one thing and there's more work to be done, but I think changing soft skills to, to for example, something like power skills is a much more attractive phrase, power skills, right? I want those now. <laughs> soft skills, I'm not too bothered about, but I want power skills, <laughs> for example. Um, but yes, I think it's the it's the way they're sold. I think they're undersold for how important they are. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think in my my view has always been those are the levers that you need to pull in order to get the hard results. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously bought into all of that stuff 100%, but it's really interesting. It's, it is time that it was, I think you're right, to get rebranded into understanding just how powerful influencing communication, all of that stuff you've been talking about um, are. I think if you've, in my own experience with HR, uh, we never really had the power or authority or budget to make change independently. I always had to influence stakeholders, be it the FD, the MD, whatever, CEO, um, so you, those are really vital in an HR role, I think, to be able to influence stakeholders to get the results you want, make them think it's their idea, whatever. So without <laughs> those skills, I don't think I would have got any of the, the sort of results that, I, that we got in the teams. But um, yeah, I think you're right. Power skills. Absolutely. And, and you know, our, our team of solicitors, 
concentrated on advising businesses on the reactive side of HR. So putting out the fires that happen in business and helping them comply with employment law. The most successful application of what the solicitors advise is the combination of the law with the power skills. I'm going to rebrand them right now. Power skills. <laughs> you know, and when when the person at the other end receiving the legal advice has the ability to to uh, to effectively use these power skills, combine that with the legal knowledge, you'll get the result uh, easier, quicker, more commercially acceptable um, than those who, for example, would just get the law but don't have the ability or, or the skills, the power skills, and just try and apply the law rigidly without any influencing and compassion and empathy and listening and all these, you know, these power skills, um, their results will be worse. In my informal experience of working with many businesses over the years. So I think you're right, they're just so critical. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the power skills uh, is obviously speaking and communication, which we talked about. Now, um, this is the speaking club. So I did want to talk to you about speaking. And you did a talk about three months ago. And I want to talk to you about that. Um, what was it you wanted to achieve with that talk? How did you get to do it? And then how did you put it together? So there's a lot of stuff there. If we can unpack that, that'd be cool. Yeah, no problem. So I was approached on LinkedIn uh, by a gentleman who had been following my posts. And we met in person a week later, and he is part of um, a group called the Virtual Non-Exec Directors. And this has thousands of members, and it's aimed, as, as it says on the tin, towards non-exec directors. So people who sit on boards of directors uh, to, to help them run the business in a non-executive capacity. So he told me about an event he was running in Manchester uh, there'd be around 35 to 40 people there and would I like to speak at the event? So I said, yes, absolutely. I'd love to. Great opportunity to get in front of a new audience. Uh, what would you like me to speak about? So he said, well, I've been following your posts. Uh, perhaps you could talk uh, about employment law, HR, but from a managing director's perspective and your experience of working with so many businesses. He said, perfect. That'll work, that'll work well. So I went away and put together a presentation tailored towards people in the room, which were people who, as I say, were non-exec directors. So typically very experienced in business, might have sold a business previously or worked in one and been very successful, perhaps latter in their sort of career and now looking to sit on other boards and share their experience with younger businesses. Um, so, so I did a presentation which was about my view as a managing director rather than a HR expert on HR, employment law in SMEs. So it's a, it's a subject that, you know, I, I should have some authority on, been working in it for so many years. Um, and, and, and I said in my presentation that it's based on effectively 12 years of informal research of working closely with so many businesses. Um, so, so yes, he'd, he'd asked me to speak. I had... Um, an hour slot. Uh, it was at a hotel in Manchester. I've never met anyone there. I didn't know anyone there. I, I only, I'd only met this guy, you know, <laughs> once. Um, and I drove over to Manchester and, um, yeah, presented that topic there. So I, I put it together based on my research, as I say, over the years, and created this PowerPoint presentation for um, for an hour's presentation at, at that event. How long did you have to prepare for it? I think I had about four weeks, which was, I felt, plenty of time. Cool. And you, your talk was at four, and you got there at one, and you had the opportunity to listen to the other people speaking. What, what went through your mind? Because I know there was stuff going on for you at that point. Can you share about that? Yes. Yeah, so... I arrived at the hotel uh, immediately full of, you know, well-established business people, none of whom I'd met. I got introduced to a few people. And I'm just finding my way into the room and the group. And and then we go into a, a separate room where we all sit down and the presentation start. So the chair of the group opened, did a presentation. 
which was brilliant, introduced myself as I was going to present later and the first speaker. Um, as So you're right, it started at one, I wasn't presenting till four. So the first couple of hours, I started to understand the type of people in the room. And I can't tell you, Sarah, I was very nervous to the point actually where I could feel my heartbeat in like the side of my neck and into my ear because I, I looked calm on top. But the more I heard about the caliber of the people in the room, the more I felt out of place. What am I doing in this room? Um, there was people, uh, published authors on business. There was a gentleman who had invested and exited 33 businesses over his career. There was a lady who had sold a business, a multi-million pound business and was an MBE. There was a guy who owned a basketball team as well as being an author. Um, and they, these were only the people that talked. There were obviously other people there who sat quite quietly, who were, I imagine, just as accomplished. So I'm sat there thinking, you know, I'm relatively young in my career. What, what am I going to get up in front of this room and talk about, which has any relevance to these guys who have all been there done it and got all the t-shirts <laughs> um so but I, I, as so that's how i started and as time went on i started to relax a little bit more i started to listen and i had a notebook in front of me and i started to just make notes of what my potential angle might be here when i do stand up so the first present presenter went and this was good and bad for me in a way because good in the sense that the presentation that happened was okay I thought it, it went okay um but it wasn't sort of uh you know knock everyone down so I thought okay well that, that's fine but the, the the more worrying side of it was that the audience participation during this presentation was huge and they were quite uh vociferous that 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 just shout up comments uh no I, no i don't agree with that uh, i've been in business quite a while you know and i've been in situations that's not quite right and i'm sat there thinking oh i'm gonna get ripped apart here um so the, the first presenter had a relatively rough ride to the point where she didn't actually manage to get through all the slides um um and the room was quite boisterous and <laughs> one individual in particular but I ultimately thought as he got closer and closer to the presentation, we had a break before, so a break at around 3.45 or 15 minutes. So everyone went to get coffee and then I was on. And I thought to myself, I can only be who I am. I can only be who I am, what I know. If it isn't enough, it isn't enough, but I can't pretend to be anything else. I am from where I'm from. Um, I know what I know. Let's just go up and do it and see what happens. So... I got up and the first thing I said was, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I know you're all really busy, so I really appreciate your time. You're all far more experienced in business than I am. Uh, I don't know anything about being a non-exec director. I've never been one before. Um, I only barely know what the term means. Um, so I'm not going to advise you. I'm not going to talk about anything to do with that because you'll rip me apart. Um, we, I'm based, I'm from a place called Clackeaton, outskirts of Bradford. Um, We've got nice offices there, but they're nothing fancy. We've got a Greg's and a Weatherspoons in Clackeaton, and uh, that's us. And the room sort of relaxed. There were a few laughs, and it all because clearly there were people in the room that were also not quite as accomplished as thirty-three business exits and MBEs. And so I think the room laughed and relaxed, and I relaxed as a result. And and then I went on to do my presentation. But what I also did was. The, the one or two in the room that were quite vocal and very experienced sort of picked them out at the start. And uh, I, a lady was called Elizabeth, for example, and I said, look, Elizabeth, go easy on me. I, I, I'll do my best here, but don't, don't be too hard on me. And she laughed and the room laughed. Um, so, yeah, I think I just found an angle that was just very uniquely me. Didn't try to pretend that I knew anything which I didn't. In fact, I was very open to say I didn't know half the stuff these guys knew. But I, I felt I could add value in an area that they're not experts, which was, you know, employment law, HR, people, my view on it. And the presentation was a managing director's view on HR. So no one can copy that or, or, or replicate that because that's my view. 
so I couldn't go wrong anywhere. Um, and thankfully, the presentation went really well and everyone enjoyed it. Thankfully. It, it sounds brilliant. Did you use um, many stories in your presentation? Yes. Yeah, I, I did try to use stories. Yes, yeah, so I use slides, but my, my, my approach on slides is secondary to me. So I don't put a lot of text on the slide. Sometimes it's just one picture. It's just a, for the audience of a, a visual cue. <laughs> Rather than looking at me, there's something else to look at. Um, but um, I sort of regard myself as the presenter, as the focal point in the slides to supplement what I might be saying. So I had some slides with words on, but not too much. And then, yeah, storytelling, really. I mean, that's what I try and do on LinkedIn as well is, and you know this better than me, and I'm sure your audience do far better than me, but it's the storytelling that's the most compelling part of any presentation, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. So being real, making mistakes, getting your words wrong, um, saying the wrong thing. I, 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 there was a presentation, I just remember actually, there was a slide with a boat on, and it was about engagement. And, and, and those at the front of the boat with a paddle, uh, those without a paddle, and those sat at the back facing the wrong way. And it was all about engagement within a business. But the way I said boat, probably like now, was very Yorkshire. <laughs> but these people on a boat. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I called myself out on it during the presentation. I said, I don't know if you can understand that. We need a translator, but uh, uh, that is boat, I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I can't say it any posher than that. And they all laughed and relaxed. And so I think those moments of um, just being real and authentic and making mistakes help the audience to relate, don't they? I think. I mean, you know this better than me, aren't you? That's absolutely no I think it. yeah and I think that's all of those things I mean this is why I wanted to bring you on to to sort of share this message because it's a big thing that I believe in is that you that you can only be yourself and you don't have to lose your personality to be a great speaker and you know it's those things that make you human and uniquely you that will draw the audience closer to you and push away the people that you shouldn't be working with anyway if they don't like those things then that's you know it's probably good um but yeah no thank you for sharing that and it's you know are you planning to do some more talks yes absolutely yeah i feel more and more comfortable as time goes on to 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 do talks um, and i've just been asked this morning actually to do one at a family business event in the future hopefully so um yeah and i'd like to try and do one with my dad as well because um, he's, he's naturally a great storyteller, far better than me. Um, but I think the combination of the two of us telling our story and the business journey could be quite fun. I've no idea. I mean, I've no idea how it'll go. What, what, <laughs> what, but we should give it a go. I think there'll be an authenticity to it and it'll be fun. And um, I think people might relate and it might help as well, some people. Yeah, you two should do a, I don't think I've ever seen like a, a duo TED, TEDx talk. That would be really cool. Uh, yeah, that would be never, unusual. Never yeah. thought about it. Well, just to give you the starting point. So we, we the two of us are doing a, a podcast in a couple of weeks for a big accountancy firm about how we achieve family succession. And I said, oh, dad, we've got this opportunity to do a podcast. We should do it. Let's get on it together and we'll tell our story. It, it's half tongue in cheek, but his first question was, what, what's a podcast, Gav? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, your dad sounds like a real character. I love that post you put up of him going around picking up all the sort of rubbish from around the the, the offices. That is really cool. In terms of, he obviously has had a massive influence on you and you know the way you your values and your identity and you know that's that was a great sort of story and that sort of made that shine through. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but but both him and my mom uh, both both brilliant people and so many different qualities, but I think part of the task of a second generation business owner, at least for me here, is to respect and honor what your parents have achieved and the values that, that they set the business up with. And, but also add your own stamp and your own individuality and take the business forward. And I think trying to find the mix between the two is, is the secret sauce and the key to success for both. But yes, yeah, certainly mum and dad are such strong values. And, and even the way we do our accounts now is the way that my mum did them when we had a paper ledger and we used to fill them in, you know, £10 in and £5 out. And, you know, <laughs> because 
we have a separate account for our VAT, a separate account for corporation tax, separate, you know, it's all very neat, orderly, and um, and it's all from my mum, when mum used to do the accounts. Um, I don't know whether there's some Yorkshire stuff in there as well, Yorkshireness or Northern attitude to business. And, but yeah, certainly a very strong set of values, which I've tried to continue as yeah. my business. Brilliant. And um, we just, you talked le- briefly about your LinkedIn posts and you know, you've, you're doing really well with those and they get a lot of engagement. I think I saw one about, you said you struggle sometimes to even think about what to post. But um, what goes through, you know, when you put a post together, is it just the same as that presentation? I'm just being me, just sharing what's happening. How, you know, how do you approach them? Yeah, I never pre-prepare my posts. Um, I sometimes do have waves of inspiration. And if I think of an idea when I'm, you know, falling to sleep or supposed to be falling to sleep or whatever, then I'll email myself the idea. But if I'm being honest, most of those end up in the LinkedIn post graveyard and I don't use them. Mostly what I do is turn up to the screen. I've no idea what to write and sit back for a few moments and just try and think and be creative and tell stories, I think. And it's been a process of, you know, improvement and learning. I've been, I suppose, using the platform for five or six years now. And there's no doubt there are certain tactics you can use um, to help improve engagement like any platform, there's ways it works and certain things you can do to try and improve it. But ultimately, they're only tactics. I think the number one thing is being authentic because whether it's a speaking audience or an online audience on LinkedIn or anything else, the crowd are discerning and the, and, and people know whether you're being authentic or you're making it up or you know, you're trying to, what, inauthentic, whatever it might be, people are very discerning. And you're, and you're ultimately asking for a moment of someone's time on LinkedIn. When you post, you're asking for a moment of their time, and that's more precious than anything to everyone, their time. So if you're going to post something, it's, you know, try and make sure it's good. But I just try to tell stories, you know, and I actually say to the guys internally, because I talk about staff a lot and, and, and things that go on internally, and I, everything I post is true. Everything I post... Um, I check with the member of staff beforehand, obviously, and make sure they're happy with it. And I say to the guys, call me out. If I'm ever putting stuff on LinkedIn that you think is disingenuous or is stretching the truth of what the reality is in the business, just call me out. Just say, Gav, <laughs> you're pushing that one. Oh, that's not quite accurate because I'm, I'm just, the worst thing for me would be posting something which is inauthentic. And my own team in Howarth's, who I work with, look at it, think... What is he talking about? That's nonsense. Sounds good on LinkedIn, but it's not what happens in the business. You know, I think what's so important, and I think why they're why they're quite successful, I think, is because it's all genuinely true and it happens genuinely um in the business. And you'll see the, the staff often comment underneath or like it and <laughs> that's brilliant. And one thing I forgot to ask you about your talk was um, did you get any new business on the back of that talk? Funny you should ask that because, yes, um, I've put, well, not confirmed just yet, but I've put three proposals in for work as a result of that talk, all of which are ongoing discussions. Um, So, yeah, I mean, after the event itself, I had, um, out of a room of 36, we had a meal afterwards, and I think I had maybe separate individual conversations with seven people who came up to me and said, brilliant presentation, really enjoyed it. I need to speak to you about X, you know, a business I'm working with or whatever. So yeah, I had lots of brilliant conversations following up. So it was really worthwhile. Yeah, I do. I, I, this is one of the other things that I say is that people really don't see the potential of their speaking opportunity. It is a massive marketing tool and you've got to, to take it when you can get it because, you know, it's really worthwhile doing, especially when you can design a talk in a way that you know actually makes people want to come speak to you and take action that's really yeah absolutely and you know there's just so much energy in the room when you're face to face and you can't replace or beat that when you have a couple of speakers a room full of people chance to speak to people before put put on a talk speak to people afterwards just the energy and the vibe and the relations and the potential to do business afterwards is is huge absolutely cool 
Right. So what is the future for you and Howarths from here? Good question. So our, our number one adage really has been we want to continue to grow the business, but not at all costs. So we, we in the last eight years, have say grown anywhere between 10 and 25% every year. So which which is good. We push. We 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 uh, you know we were ambitious. We're personally ambitious. We work hard and we want to see the business grow. Um, all of us were a relatively young board, so we're all ambitious to to see what we can achieve. But it's not at all costs. You know we. I really I mentioned it before, but I just hugely value being able to put my children to bed at night and on a lot of times have tea with them. Um, you know I never work a weekend. I rarely work at night um, because family is just so important. I'd never sacrifice, like I said, with the deal with mum and dad, I'd never sacrifice the relationships with my family um, for, for the business. And, and to be fair, going back to mum and dad, that was a key value that they always, always had as well, is yes, work's important. It's brilliant that we have this opportunity. We're very privileged and we're trying to make the most of it. And we are ambitious, but family that comes first. Um, so, so in answer to your question, to continue to grow, push the business on, um, I, I want to create space for all the guys internally to fulfill their ambitions as well. And the only way to do that is to for the business to grow and expand so that the people within it can grow and expand and take on new roles and tasks, et cetera. So I do want to continue to grow the business, but only in a way that uh, is sustainable long-term, um, that doesn't put us at unnecessary risk. And most importantly, Sarah, allows us to keep the heart you know it's growth is okay and you become more corporate and more systemized and more processes and but i'm just so keen on not losing the heart of what makes us us and that's my number one job really as managing director and leader here now is how do we continue to be commercially successful and grow but keep the very essence of what makes us us yeah but that that's that's the aim over the over the next sort of medium long term that's brilliant that's cool now before we wrap up and i uh, ask you where people can find out more about you i have some standard questions this is the speaking club what is the best thing that speaking has done for you mm, probably made me more confident um increased my self-awareness um uh, yeah knowledge about myself um and brought yeah helped me to fulfill my potential i think speaking is such a a cutting edge thing isn't it public speaking it's one of those things that a lot of people fear and but it really just allow you to be you and to be individual and to grow and develop and so from a personal sense that business sense the, a massive list of stuff you know like said earlier speaking in front of people gives you huge business opportunities to tell your story and sell so i'm a massive advocate cool and i don't know how many uh speaking uh gigs you had before the one we talked about but has there been one that you're like oh my god i that was awful i never want to do that again <laughs> yes plenty in the early days yeah i think uh in smaller occasions but i remember doing you know six even small speaking things like 60 second elevator pictures with a big clock in front of you and you stand in a room of 30 and you've got 60 seconds to sell your business <laughs> and you sit down afterwards and think, oh, I didn't say anything that was relevant. <laughs> yeah, I've had plenty like that where you make a, a hash of it or you berate yourself afterwards for what you didn't say and, and how ineffective you were with what you did say. But it all comes like with time and practice, doesn't it? And you keep getting back on the horse and giving it another go. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. Perfect. Okay. What's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Oh, that's a really good question. The first book that comes to mind is a book called The Book of Joy. And it's conversations between... Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And it's a recording of their conversations over a series of months about 
society, about life, about the way to approach life. And it's just such a fantastic book um, that you could go back to time and time again to reset your mindset about what's important in life, who you want to be in life, how you want to approach certain situations. But it's also, also interlaced with you know, light moments of comedy and, and interactions between the two, you know, very revered leaders in their own right. But, you know, they have some very touching moments and funny moments. And yeah, I just love that book. Cool. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. I know that they used to take the mickey out of each other as well, which is, yeah. uh, I haven't read that, but I'll definitely have a look at that book because it sounds, sounds really cool. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever had and why? I've had so much, so much good advice. Dad, mum, other people. I'm always listening, trying to learn and get better. The best piece, the one that sticks in my mind is one, when I first started at Howard's, uh, I was 24 and there was some day, I'm, I'm, I've, I am quite introverted by nature. Um, and some days, back in those early days, when I was that age, I'd come into work and I'd go to my room, I'd be very happy to shut my door, just do my work, not really interact with people. Not that I was sort of sad or anything like that. I was just that I could just go into a room, do that, go home. Um, and my dad actually had a word with me and just said, look, of course, you're going to have your down days, etc. But if you're going to lead the business, you know, people rely and need your energy um, and uh, to lead from the front and, and your vibe and your enthusiasm and optimism, etc. cetera. Um, and people take their cue from you. And for whatever reason, the, 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 the timing of it, the moment, how receptive I was and, and, and just the whole dynamics of it, it's always stuck with me that because, uh, and, I, and I, keep, I keep it consciously in my mind that, you know, that leading from the front and, uh, I heard a phrase, I can't remember who it was from, that the organisation is a shadow of its leader or the institution is a shadow of its leader. So I do think it's it's incredibly important. The only thing I'd add to it now as I get on to my career is, yes, you've got to lead from the front with all the energy, optimism, and et cetera. But is you're also not a machine and you're allowed moments of vulnerability and to be human. And that also is very powerful for your team to see. So I think the combination of the two. Excellent. Now, last question. If you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Oh, this <laughs> so many. Lots of questions, so many. I don't know why, but you know the first person who came to my head is Paul McCartney. All right, cool. Well, I often find sources of inspiration for this business outside of what we do in anything, anything and everything. And um, yeah, we're all massive music fans. I have family, mum, dad, and my wife, and all of us, huge music fans. And I think just to sit down with someone who's been so hugely successful for so long across the world, um, and I know there, you know, there were four of the Beatles, but you know, Paul being a huge part of it, I'd, I'd be fascinated to understand his mindset, his workings, how he sustains it for so long, and you know, all that type of stuff. Yeah, there could have been loads of people, but that's the first person who came to mind. And my wife's scouser as well, so that kind of ties in. And <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we, I, just, I just want your first answer because, as, as people would say, it might be different tomorrow, but today, that's who yes. you're picking. Yeah, Good absolutely. Point. Cool. All right, Gavin, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that stuff, for being so uh, open and vulnerable and authentic yourself. Um, it's really refreshing and lovely to, to sort of see that uh, shine through. Now, if people want to find out more about you or uh, look at working with Howard's, where's the best place for them to go? Two places. One would be the website. Uh, which I'm sure you'll put in the notes. Thank you. Yeah. It's alice-uk.com. And, but to get more of an insight into us, probably my LinkedIn, um, because you, you're probably more likely to then see, you know, the values and what we're all about more deeply. Um, but either of those would be absolutely 
fine. And thanks so much for having me on, Sarah, as well. I've loved it. I really, it's been really cool. So thank you. It's an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the show and we'll put those links in the uh, show notes as well. So cool. Well, good luck with the rest of uh, today and uh, the, the future of the business. And I'm sure, well, hopefully our paths will cross again at some point. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. I love that interview. He's so down to earth and I believe such a great example of the values and attitudes that a modern leader should embody. So do go and follow Gavin on LinkedIn where you'll see some great examples of story-led engaging posts. And if something he said resonated with you, then do message him and let him know. As ever, do also go and have a look at saraharcher.co.uk and uh, check out the live masterclass coming up soon. I would love to see you there. And if you listen to the Speaking Club but haven't yet left a review, please would you help me out by taking a couple of minutes to leave your honest feedback over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. Thank you so much as ever for joining me and I will be back next week. In the meantime, you know the drill. Go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humour and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.